Maya told me a long time ago about love. And, and, and she opened my eyes to the fact that black people made love, romantic love. And that's, and that's a difference. So it's not all of this snatch and burn, and, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> uh, here we go, but romantic love. Episode 82 with choreographer and producer George Faison. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today, we have a very special conversation with the legendary choreographer and producer, George Faison. In this interview, George takes us on a journey through his remarkable life, from his early days in Washington, D.C., to his experiences dancing with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and mostly his iconic role as the choreographer of the original Broadway production of The Wiz, for which he won a Tony, becoming the first Black person to do so. George shares stories of his encounters with great artists like Maya Angelou and Stevie Wonder and the incredible impact they had on his life. He reminisces about his time performing in various productions, including Sweet Otis and Porgy and Bess, and the lessons he learned along the way. He also shares the role that books play in his creative process. For George, it all begins with the archive. But perhaps the most captivating part of this interview is his vivid description of creating the Emerald City sequence for The Wiz. He shares how the vision for the sparkling, shimmery city came to life and how it brought a sense of wonder and joy to audiences, yours truly included. As George reflects on his journey and the importance of sharing happiness and imagination, we're reminded of how the power of creativity and storytelling can uplift our spirits and inspire generations to come. Be sure to share some of your thoughts on today's episode with us over on Twitter and Instagram at Black Imagination. And this and more content is also over on IBI Digital at BlackImagination.com. Want to know what else we got cooking over here? Well, sign up for our newsletter. It's just a dose of imagination for your inbox. And be sure to click that support link in the show notes. This ship does not sail itself. So sit back and join us as we embark on this incredible and extraordinary conversation with George Faison, a true visionary in the world of dance and theater. Okay, Mr. George Faison, um, yes. it is such a pleasure to have you here um, on the Institute of Black Imagination podcast. You are a legend, a living legend, um, and also just an incredible all-around artist, um, and just excited to have you here. So welcome. Thank you so much. So much. Thank you. Glad to be here. And um, 
you know, I'm laughing a bit because George and I just had a a little tete a little a little technological situation, which we'll talk about adventure later. Technological adventure bringing me up to the present. So here we are. I'm very present now. (laughs) Amen. So just to get started, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Maya Angelou. Mm. I really would. Um, Because I'm, uh, we're all still looking for a voice, a voice that resonates, a voice that informs, uh, a voice that will inspire. And, and I think that that's what we absolutely need you know, today, inspiration and a voice, something familiar. And then maybe something not so familiar, you know, some of the, because we are faced with the harsh realities of what this world is. We fought so hard for so many of the things that last week were taken from us, you know, and uh, sometimes we have to be reminded. A lot of people don't like to go too far back in the past or that's old or now they're craving for history now that uh, it's been challenged that um, who teaches us our history and how it's been neglected, you know, uh, for so long and how many people have not had an interest in that until maybe now. Maybe, and now is probably the time to really get it now that they want to take it from us. Maybe now is the time that we should real, really, uh, investigate it and see what we've been missing all this time. And that's why, uh, you know, having a conversation or dedicating this, this show to Maya, because Maya would remind us in a gentle way, in a, in some, and sometimes in a not so gentle way what we're doing wrong, you know, at, <laughs> it, uh, so we, uh, were in a sense drinking buddies, uh, and, and, but she could, but she would never lose any of the dignity and the, uh, awareness that who she was passing all of that knowledge onto. And it could just be in casual conversation that you would learn so much. And it was so enriching to have that, you know, that kind of relationship with her for all of those years that I was graced to have them. Um, uh, today, I don't, you know, as you look at today, you don't know what's happening. You know, some of the news programs are really great and informative but who's looking at the news so you you want to have a conversation or uh, no one's really as informed or up to date as they should be about what's happening around us and what we're losing from day to day because we don't stay stay informed and uh maya would always was very current always and and that and that was a you know, really good part about being in her company and learning. Yes, she was like a grandmother, but she was hip. She knew what was happening. 
and very, very up to date. I, I really miss having those, those conversations with her. And she's well, performed uh, at the, and she's performed at the firehouse several times. Uh, so I have her on tape and, uh, on the stage interacting with, with some young people. We've taken her even, uh, I've taken my, uh, outreach group down to Winston-Salem, uh, when she was living in a big house and the National Black Arts Festival was in, uh, swing at that particular time. And they had a great time. She hosted us a couple of times and we had great conversations. I have a couple of films that I hope to share with you, um, you know, in a documentary I'm trying, uh, I'm working on because it should be shared and to see her and to hear her will just remind us that, uh, you know, there's so much to, that our generations have to, to share so much, uh, that we, uh, have taken for granted. And now that we don't have those voices, uh, maybe through some of us that are left, uh, can reignite that energy. Mm. And for those of you who are only listening, um, we do have a video available on YouTube, but behind George is a photograph of Miss Maya Angelou signed. Um, and so we bring uh, that energy. Over my shoulder. Over your shoulder. Um, right. So we bring that energy and um, that perspicacity or that clear vision, that clear seeing that Maya had uh, to this conversation. So, you know, we spoke starting about, you know, we started speaking about the present moment, you know, and where we are now um, and a bit of the state of the world. So for those of you listening, perhaps, you know, asynchronously, we're recording this in the middle of August in 2023, um, a few weeks after um, the repeal affirmative action, a year after the repeal of Roe versus Wade, um, and currently having books um, banned and state education and legislatures um, really removing parts of U.S. history um, so that children or not of a certain being, hue... Or not being even included. I had a meeting in, in D.C. at the, uh, what is that? Uh, the, not the Library of Congress, but uh, the uh, Smithsonian. And, and we have this much information in American history. Mm-hmm. That's an inch. And that's holding up about an inch. An inch, inch. We're not included. Yes, we have the African American Museum, uh, which I'm a part of on, on that same campus around, uh, that, uh, uh, in Washington. But we don't have that kind of information, uh, in American history. And we are definitely a very much uh, an integral part of American history, and to have just that that uh, bit is not fair to uh, where we stand and how we and and how we uh, uh, influence this country from its inception since we were the first to die. You know, George, defending to, that flag. To be honest, like. 
a big part of us even being in this conversation right now is so that we, we as a community have a platform to tell our own stories, right? And listen to our stories so that we don't have to continue to ask to be a part of, of a narrative, right? At a crafting of a national narrative that we don't always have control over, right? You know, and a say of like what goes in and what goes out. And for me with affirmative action, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I was like, okay, cool. For me, it was a line in the sand. It was like, okay, Absolutely. cool. Like, I, I'm like actually not even interested I, in including you in the work that I'm doing. You've shown me where your priorities are. And so I'm going to do what I need to do, which is what we've historically done, right? We've stepped in and done what we've needed to do. So I'm excited to hop into this conversation. So to catch everybody up, this is George Faison. This is the Tony Award-winning George Faison, artist, choreographer, uh, dancer, all-around creative. And what's amazing, uh, well, one, George was the first Black individual to win a Tony for choreography um, in the history of the United States. Um, But what also I'm excited about this conversation is, you know, the origin story of the Institute of Black Imagination goes back to the work of Jeffrey Holder, um, because we started with um, inheriting 2000 books from his archive. And for those of you who do not know about Jeffrey Holder, who was also a Renaissance man, um, but did the costume and one design, of my collaborators yes. on The Wiz as well. Did, so, George beat me to it, but George won the Tony for choreography for The Wiz, and Jeffrey won the Tony for direction. Um, and I think maybe and costume costumes. design as well, um, becoming the black first, first Black person to win a Tony for um, directing uh, in the history of the United States as well. So this is who we're in conversation with, but you know, that was in 1975 and we can circle back to that. But in 2023, George, what's exciting you right now? What are you thinking about? What are you working on? What am am I working on? I actually going back and picking up some of those histories, um, your inheritance, uh, that you got those, all of those books goes back to, how I started. Books uh, equate with freedom. What you learn from books, because what you get from books is, is knowledge. And knowledge is known facts, verified. There, it's there. It's written. And all of, uh, I had the good fortune of having some wonderful teachers all, you know, as I was coming up to very, very early, you know, in, in junior high school and high school and later college and so forth to go back through the canon of reading the world reading. And, you know, so it's like, uh, not just my history, everybody's history. And that gave, gives you so much power because you you know then what everybody did to everybody else so it's like so it's like uh uh even so when you go to create something you need all of that knowledge you need all of those bits and pieces to put together you know you're not that smart yes you may have an invention 
But it's like, it bolsters that invention. It girds that. That's the undergirding of, of all of that. You, you can speak with that authority, um, uh, the authority of knowing that you, that, that, uh, what you speak of is the truth. And sometimes it is not the truth and sometimes distorted and so forth. And sometimes you, you have to make it up. Um, but you have enough. Uh, there to then make it. So all of my, my, the pieces that I've done, the pieces that I've decor, uh, directed and, and so forth have been informed by what I know from books. And that's, and if, if, if Maya were here and she's been banned enough, uh, she would tell you how, how important books are. Jimmy Baldwin would tell you how, how, important books are. But if you haven't stopped to take a, uh, a line of Shakespeare apart, because he'll begin the, the, uh, the sentence in our presence and start and end it somewhere next week. Um, and, um, and some, and some writers are like that. Uh, the color purple is like that. There are secrets hidden in those books. And sometimes you have to go over those lines to really comprehend what they're really saying and how you have to breathe. And that breath and that breathing gives you a moment to understand that first part of the sentence. You get to the middle part, there's another kind of understanding. And then it all comes together when the author finally comes to that conclusion and delivers the surprise, which may be a surprise or it just may be a revelation. Uh, and then in that, you, you, have, you have everything. So in my dancing, it's informed the dancing, the direction, the writing. It, it informs all of that. But uh, reading... And that, and the technique of writing and the, and, and how you speak as well, you know, it's all, it all lies in, in those, in those pages. And then it takes you to worlds that you could not even imagine, you know, uh, the incredible, uh, what is that, uh, light of being is, is, is one book, uh, the, uh, migration book, uh, What's her name? Uh, uh, the the uh, in search of other sons. Sons. Oh my God! I I didn't want. I got to the end of that book book, and at night I would turn one page at a time because I didn't want it to end because of the adventure and what I felt uh, about people. How did you get way out here? How did you get to Alaska and you're black? Or how did you get? How did you get way out here? You know, the characters that she chose, the experiences that they had, you know, there you are, people that, how do you get to Minnesota? What, you know, what brought you to Wisconsin? All of that, knowing all of that and and understanding that, you know, just gives you a a bigger scope. And it's not just, and then dancing does, does that. So, you know, growing up, you know, trying to learn all of those steps and all of the the uh, the indigenous dancing of Africa, 
being introduced to that and how you borrow from one thing to the other. And it only enhances the glory, the glory of what you're trying to, to create. And so uh, when you see slaves and then you, you see me using some uh, contemporary ballet because it's sad. Maya told me a long time ago about love. And, and, and she opened my eyes to the fact that black people made love, romantic love. And that's, and that's a difference. So it's not all of this snatch and burn, and, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> uh, here we go. But romantic love and all of those things. Let me love you while the lights are still in your hair or all of those beautiful, beautiful passages that she, she could pass on. I, you know, uh, don't let, but don't let me get ahead of myself about <laughs> all of that. Cause I'll get lost into that thought because it takes you away and you are in another world and that world is open to us. And that's what I've been able to enjoy, uh, you know, all my life, all of my life. I've, I've, I've loved that. I've, I've, uh, marched with Dick Gregory. Um, I was under the tree in 1963, um, listening to Martin Luther King. I've heard the voice of Mahalia Jackson. I've, uh, you know, done plays about uh, Dorothy Hyde, Mary McLeod Bethune, Eleanor Roosevelt, people that have, have uh, shaped our thought and so forth. And, th- and that brings us, and things that you've missed, like uh, uh, things that I grew up with, like the uh, the what I like to call the maybe the showdown at San Marin County, where uh, Jonathan Jackson and the and the judge who died in that hail of gunfire before, you know, after they opened the doors of of that truck that they we're about to escape in. And then the memory of the love affair that Angela Davis and, and George Jackson had. That's what I want to do. That's, you know, bring to you those under that kind of pressure, under that kind of heat that we find, you know, we still can find love. We can still find inspiration. We can feel, uh, be informed about the struggle, you know, for freedom. They say democracy is, 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 is on trial. It's always been on trial, but it's how we can relate to one another and how we can, can, uh, share what we know about real freedom. Mm. You know, you had, I mean, well, you just said a word there. Um, but you were speaking earlier about, uh, sentences and the structure of sentences and how one can really take one's time with a good writer who, you know, has a beginning, you know, can start somewhere, the middle takes you to another place. And as you get to that conclusion, right, there are other things that are being revealed. And I couldn't help but think about, you know, this incredible, incredible life experience that you've had through all of those names, through all of those experiences, and really thinking about it as a sentence. And very interested to find out in this moment, what conclusions are you drawing about life? 
that we, going forward, we still have to have the past and, uh, and all the things that belong to the past, you know, the, 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 uh, the good, the, because, you know, when you, we were running free in Africa, we were in the Serengeti, you know, chasing gazelles, hunting gazelles, you know, which are a, a, a symbol of freedom and which was my first ballet, which, uh, gazelle, and it's in the Smithsonian. And, uh, it, it uh, actually, I created that in 1971 after I had, I left the Ailey company, but it was during my, my, uh, time with the Ailey company in 1968 that I was able to experience that at 66. Uh, I was able to see that and feel that. And the things when they are talking about the motherland, gazing on, uh, flying over Mount Kilimanjaro and then visiting Kenyatta in the mountains of, uh, of, uh, the Serengeti. It just, you know, all of those things, going to Israel, even going to the, to, uh, Jerusalem at six days after the six day war, you know, uh, wearing, you know, staying at the hotel dam with the Jordan outside and, you know, going to the market, buying what we didn't know at that time, a, you know, the red, uh, um, Arab, Palestinian, Head wrap and going, it, knowing going to the hotel and and strolling out into it with bathing suits on and just wondering why the crowd was gathering around. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yes, all of the, you know those kinds of things. But you know, the, the beauty of the head wrap, the the the. The, the the flowing of the water here we were in uh Israel going to the kibbutz you know performing in Jazaria and all of that visiting you know uh the holy the holy land all all of that it has going to the you know the 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 the, the wall the wailing wall you know in in there it's all. It's our. It's our history. Everybody, I think, and and we share all of that. And then their struggle too, because you're reminded of all of that. You're reminded of you know the world history, and that only books can give you. Again, you know, to go back, go back to that, and then our own history. You know, we you know, and going to Europe and picking up a newspaper at that time at the Piazza Duomo in Milan and and uh, opening the front page and op- opening up the middle page, you know, which is a double page, and seeing Detroit on fire. And you are thousands of miles away and, you're, and it's like, you know, what am I doing? You know, yes, we were dancing revelations and blues suites and we was taking it, we were taking it to the world and the world, you know, clamored, gave us standing ovation, flowers at the end, incredible situ uh, receptions and so forth. But we still, you know, weren't free. 
free as we should be. That was still 1968. We were still uh, 64 or 66. It was still the 60s. And it's still 2023. And we're still fighting for those same, those same freedoms, that same recognition, that same uh, equality. That march on Washington was for jobs and freedom. You know, we were still, you know, even though we were, we went to that, that, uh, march all dressed up, you know, our, our chicken in those, in those shoe boxes with wrapped in, uh, wax paper and all of that and going off to see the king. Oh, Martin come Luther on. King, deliver us, going, <laughs> deliver us the message that we would go back to, to, to our communities and be inspired by. I was still in high school at that time. I hadn't seen Alvin Ailey. I had done any of the things that I had done, you know, going to Howard University, uh, which was, I, I performed at Howard with the American Light Opera Company, which was a lot. I was in the 10th grade, actually. I was, uh, uh, I auditioned for, and I didn't even, at the time, Kiss Me Kate, but I didn't even know what an audition was. And I went with a friend. And so I went through, and you go through the stages of reading, and then you go through the stages of singing, and then you go through the stages of dancing. And so i gotten to the end of it, and they welcomed me to the company. So I go out stage and run up to the guy that invented invited me to this to this uh audition which was held at at the Kennedy Church uh which was uh in uh, Georgetown on 31st Street the Trinity Church uh, that's the Kennedy you know John and Jackie Kennedy and so forth uh, and uh, I bound out of it with all this good news and I told him I've been accepted and we all start rehearsal on a certain day Unfortunately, he didn't make it. And so that was my first lesson, my first lesson in in teaching me what life was really about. You make it or you don't on your own. What you and who you are is what is the only thing you can really depend on in in this world. And, and, and the things that your parents teach you and that you the teachers you know can only bolster you and and make you stronger for all of that and uh and that experience led to my experience being the only black person in that company that i i I, uh i um auditioned for and the lead dancer in of all musicals kiss me kate now that's cole porter for for all of you for the lay about, the lay folk <laughs> the lay folks but that was that was my experience and that was a retelling of the um taming of the shrew uh, uh shakespeare's taming of the shrew kiss me king okay and uh <laughs> and uh there i i was and that was a, an experience and totally out of my environment so I was in living in the ghetto in Washington, D.C. on 3rd Street Northwest and going to Dunbar High School 
and going to later to perform at Howard University, which I had never gone on their campus. And it was, and it was in the newly built Crampton Auditorium, which a couple of years later, I would see Alvin Ailey on that stage with his dance company. And that changed my entire life. Not only meeting Jesse Norman, who was at Howard at 15, Roberta Flack, Donnie Hathaway, all of the, you know, all of those, um, Tony Morrison, and all of the Howard players. So I met them as strangers and then later got to know them, you know, because I was only 15. I was still in high school. But then that was uh, there at Howard, I met Howard Dotson, who, uh, now Owen Dotson, excuse me, um, Owen Dotson, who was the dean of the drama department at Howard. Uh, Felicia Rashad is now the dean at Howard University. Uh, but in the old days, it was Howard Dotson when I first went uh, to Howard. And the Howard players, a ruthless bunch of thespians, you had to, you know, you had to either learn, play with, bid with, or, or die because they taught you what the world was really about. It was an incredible, incredible growing up that I did. And that was be- even before I uh, had classes there at uh, at Howard and so forth. So it was just, a, that was, and that was just the beginning. That This is before I went in search of Alvin at uh, later when I went to New York for real. And uh, I waited a year and a half because he was touring in Europe before I could actually meet him, I withdrew from school. My parents were in a rage and went in search of Alvin Ailey. Because I, when I experienced them at Crampton Auditorium, it was my life. It was my entire life in that evening, uh, that two-hour evening, in which I experienced uh, all of incredible choreographers like Tally Beatty, uh, of course, Alvin Ailey. And uh, those two changed my life. Uh, I had never seen anything or had been so inspired by anything in, uh, in all the world like Alvin. And so I left and uh, came to New York and found out when Arthur didn't, an audition for Arthur Mitchell, who we eventually didn't go to, Africa. And I, so I was in New York. Was I coming back to DC? No, I couldn't. Uh, so I stayed in, in New York and was determined to, to learn really to dance and to learn those ballets and to get into the Ailey company. It took me uh, about a year and a half of studying through some, some of the teachers who didn't get a chance to go do those things that I had uh, had experienced. I love hearing this story um, because I see that we have so much in common. Um, one, starting, you know, performing quite young. So I joined a local um, company in St. Louis when I was 15. 
So I started dancing professionally when I was 15. Um, and on my 21st birthday, um, I I don't know what I was doing or what I was thinking, but I took myself to go see Alvin Ailey um, in Kansas City. And I too had, you know, no pun intended, a revelatory experience. Um, and, you know, I had just never seen such beauty, such excellence, um, and seen myself reflected like that, you know, in my life. And it completely changed, completely changed the bar of what was possible, yes. you know. In your life, it's life-changing because you're going to go through your life uh, uh, oh, breathing that air and seeing that. All of that, uh, all of that, that whole experience uh, expressed without words, only in gesture. The, the, you know, yes, the music bolsters that, but that movement, that all of that coming together in an experience that spoke volumes. But it's you know incredible. What I- but I want to ask you a question. You know, they say they say never meet your heroes. And I know that you were in hot pursuit um, of Alvin Ailey and you worked so hard, right, to get into the company. But you were you weren't there for too long, right? You were there for four years? Three, eight, four years, yeah. With the company, and then you started yes. your own company. What what was that experience like, right? Meeting the man, working with the man, and then realizing that there was something else for you. There was something else because the struggle was still there. Even uh, uh, even after I left, he still struggled. And he was just standing within, still standing on the precipice of success. Success had not delivered itself until years, years, a couple of years uh, later. Um, when they went to Russia and they became, you know, that household name, beloved to, but we had been thrown out of restaurants. We had uh, uh, met the same kind of prejudices that anybody else, uh, you know, black would going through America going, you know, uh, um, you know, but the incredible joy that we did bring to people was our mission. So we weren't marching. We weren't, Yes, I was marching. I had the experience of marching and so forth. But we um, were marching through dance. We were breaking down those barriers and and, and creating understanding through our dance. We were human. I started my own dance company because I, or or, or dancing, uh, because people didn't know me. You didn't know me. You had prejudices. Prejudices, but you did not know who I was or my people. You do not know who we were outside of somebody that were um, cleaning your house or or taking out the uh, cleaning your house or doing some menial uh, a job uh, that didn't mean anything, you know. But we were on the 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 cusp of getting a better education on going to college, you know, graduating, all of those AME uh, colleges, HBCUs, 
that were in the South. We went to all of those. We brightened so many eyes, expanded so many minds, uh, all doing that on a bus, you know, through all of that. Those were the hard years that Alan, this, these weren't opera houses that we were going to. They were auditoriums, uh, that uh, lyceum programs that we were, you know, doing. But we brought so much, so much, so much joy to the, to those people in, uh, in all of those, uh, at Grambling, at Florida AME, at, uh, you know, all of those schools that later got turned, rolled into state universities. So, you know, supporting all of those universities is, is very important because that's where it started. That it was the bedrock before we were all cleaned up and we had all of our great sororities and fraternities and, and so forth, our great educators and came out of those schools, out of those schools. And we blazed those trails. And when I started my own company, I continued to blaze those trails with that. But with, you know, confronting issues like uh, uh, drugs and, and, uh, and slaves, slavery and all of that. But ballets that I created that captured some of those things. Or bringing our R&B uh, uh, artists to us. Uh, like Otis Redding, I did a whole suite of... Uh, of dances uh, to Otis Redding's musicals, and and took my later took my own company down to Macon, performed in the Macon, Georgia, where he was born. Invited his family, put them in the box seat, and performed Sweet Otis for them. And the, the ballet was later used in his museum, and it opened um, yeah, that was opened in Macon, the Otis Redding Museum. So. We, we did all of those one, you know, all of that has happened to me, all of that. And, uh, and, you know, until, you know, and you go through, through life and all of the experiences I did, Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope was my first musical on Broadway. And then I did, I danced in Pearly, choreographed by Lewis Johnson with Melville Moore and Cleavon Little. Oh, you know, I've had, Oh, and then that was just growing. And in between shows, I would, um, I created my repertoire after I le left Ailey. I went to, to Pearly on Broadway. And, uh, it just, you keep going and you keep growing. Got booked and went all over the, the country. I'm going to put a quick bookmark in that because I want to, I want to circle back to, to Otis, uh, sweet Otis, and then go go from there. So, you know, in watching uh, Sweet Otis, I noticed, particularly in the the women's section, um, but I noticed a real connection between the garment and the body. Right. So you're not just dancing with the body; you're dancing with the garment as well. So I for sewed, you, I sewed those costumes. I cut oh, them well, and I sewed girl. them myself. Well, and there you have it. <laughs> but so for you, like, so for me, the question is for you, where does dance begin and end, right? Because with that, with that piece, there's an extension beyond just the body, right? It's in the cloth as well. So for you, and you can, you can take a, that, a metaphorical those, approach to it, but where does it begin and end for you? It doesn't, the whole thing, it's a complete 
it's a complete uh, I thought it's a complete idea so the so the 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 dresses and the carefree attitude that the girls the girls could look young they could look like their them mothers did when they were young and generations when they were younger the dresses were cut on the bias which would give it a the fullest kind of kind of a circle that you could absolutely have um and then we were dancing in shoes we weren't modern dancers in a anymore we could do multiple pirouettes we could do uh, uh more of a ballet uh contemporary technique with all of that and they felt beaut the girls felt beautiful and the men uh, and i made the men uh, jumpsuits and they uh, felt modern in a sense so we were and this was in 1971 when i created uh sweet odors so that's older than the whiz Ooh. so all of, right. a little bit of foreshadowing you you're you're, you're 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 taking up my narrative arc brother like you you know we work it towards the whiz but okay come on keep going right but the uh, <laughs> but the uh the uh what is that that but that was all the beginning I, you pick up bits and pieces you read you do all of those things as you are going you're growing toward you know whatever you think is your ultimate and and then after you get there you go past that and there are other uh, frontiers to conquer there are other uh rivers to cross there're just so many many things and then you can begin and after you know so much you know so much <laughs> you can begin to put things together that come together you can put the puzzle together and it uh and uh it just the world comes comes together for you and you can begin to think of uh of what next to do or to uh uh tackle things that you don't know co- uh, completely and go into the unknown and that because that brain keeps going because the books keep leading you they just keep egging you on to know well how did they do that and and what did they do with this and if i put this and that together what am i going to come up with it always happens and that's and that's that's what this journey has been and that's what i've been enjoying all my life saying open but the books are the gateway to to all of that and people people other people who read books because that conversation goes on and on and on and so you know you gave us a little bit of this history you're leading us up right you know you're you're with Alvin you create your own dance company you do you know you do purely you're you're outside as we would say um in, in right, current but, but day vernacular true, you, but you don't give you don't give up any of that that's that's what you take and you put a piece of that armor on because ultimately it's going ultimately it's going to be there to protect you inform you guide you Mm. And so how did it protect inform and guide you into meeting Jeffrey Holder oh, you, and the Wiz? Then, 
Well, I met Jeffrey Holder as a dancer. I danced his ballets. So it was it was David and Goliath coming together there, brother. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh no. I had I had done that. I I had uh done my own uh, first uh, Broadway show. I had I had uh I had done I had staged different people by that time. Um I had done so much. Uh so I had that experience. You know, I had been in the chorus with Pearly. I had been on stage, choreographed uh fashion shows and and uh just a a, a lot of things and dance with Norma Miller, who was who was a great she did she does that dance in Hell's a Popping with that with that hat. They do a Lindy with Frankie Manning. Probably they were the two greatest uh, Lindy Hop dancers in the world. And they they had a, com- a company. And then I went out with her when uh, uh, to some of those uh, white clubs, that, uh, Jewish clubs that were out there on Northern Boulevard, that lined Northern Boulevard. And they would have black entertainers come that would sing and do all of those things. And she was one of those acts from the 40s and so forth, Mama Lou Parks, all of them. I did all of it, all of it. I danced with all of them. The change in the bathroom, ran on stage. This was even, uh, was that even after Ailey? I think, now, that may have been after. Now, that was before Ailey, yeah. All of that. You know, it's so much of our history. And those people were from the third twenties, thirties and forties, but they were great. They taught, they taught me so much. And so how did you take all of that? I mean, you know, this opportunity comes up to choreograph the a Broadway, right? Show. And but it's the, also very, also very interesting, George, because you know, they're doing the revival right now on Broadway and we can come back to that. But like, for you as a young man with all of this experience and you're given this opportunity, how did you approach it? How did you feel? Like, what was that experience? That like, what is did the you... secret. That oh. is the secret. And this is what we're here to find out. <laughs> Give us the secret, George. You know, Judy Garland belongs to all of us. I don't care what they try to say. Because some people, when we first tackled the whiz, tried to say, why are y'all doing the whiz? What are you doing the whiz? Because Judy Garland entertained us from 1938. That's what you watched. Okay? And so forth. And it was magical. And it was, you know, uh, it was television. It was TV. And, and it was everything. American and all of that. That's what we grew up with. But when I, I uh, took on the whiz, it was like, can I do that? Well, first of all, I was in Delacorte Theater, which you know is in Central Park. And we, would do, we finished Otis with Try a Little Tenderness. And at the end of that, that program, the audience wouldn't sit down. And that, and over the loudspeaker, they had to ask the audience, please leave. We'd cause near a riot. They, and, and Clyde Barnes wrote everything, you know, 
in, in the New York Times about it. So it was really great. And, and as I was, as, as the, we were leaving, a man came up to me and introduced himself as Ken Harper, who was the producer of The Wiz. And he came along with Andre DeShield, who was a performer down on the Lower East Side with uh, Tom O'Horgan, who did, uh, you know, the, I think he did hair or something. Yes, he did hair. He directed hair, Tom O'Horgan. And he was, they were off-Broadway, these freaks. You know, they were out. Um, you know, and that, that Lower East Side was another revelation. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, he came up to me and introduced himself and asked me, told me that he was doing a, a musical, uh, based on The Wizard of Oz. Uh, and I said, really? I said, that sounds great. When are you going to do it? And he said, well, as soon as I raise all the money, I'm going to do it. But how many propositions do you hear like that? And so I would meet with, I met with him for about, I came back and he would explain a little a bit about it. And he'd play a song that he had this guy, Charlie Smalls, was collaborating and writing the music. And I, I met with him for maybe about a year. And, uh, and uh, I said, no, that night. I told him, well, when you get the money, you, you know, he says, I have to raise the money. He said, when you get the money, call me, because I was really excited about it. And I think a year passed, and he called me. I got the money. And uh, we want to uh, have auditions, and we're going to uh, start in 74, the fall of 74. And, uh, and, and he, and he kept his promise and, and all of that. Um, unfortunately, he didn't tell Jeffrey the day that we opened, uh, that we started rehearsal. He unfortunately forgot to tell Jeffrey that I was going to be the choreographer, George Fainsaw, one of the dancers who had danced in one of his ballets while I was still in Ailey. So you talk about moving on, I had to move on. <laughs> so it was like, I left Ailey in 70 and all that time I had been working, 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 working. So in 74, he got the money and the first day of rehearsal, he introduced me as the choreographer. Jeffrey was furious. He left the rehearsal and uh, and because Ken forgot to tell me, tell him, I guess, that he wasn't directing either. And Gilbert Moses was directing. And uh, that's how, that was our first day of rehearsal. Uh, and Jeffrey, you know, walked out. And we didn't see him until Baltimore, where all the costumes arrived and, and so forth. But he, I'm sure he was pissed with that, but that was the story. And the next six weeks was hell. You know, I oh, oh, my battery um, was hell. And, uh, and it was a, a six-week journey 
back to Broadway until we opened on Broadway. Jeffrey was then called back as the director when uh, Gilbert and Charlie Smalls got into an altercation in a Baltimore bar and, and he had to leave. But, and Stu Gilliam, who was playing the Scarecrow, decided he wasn't coming back to rehearsal. So we grabbed Hinton Battle, who was in the chorus, my dance chorus, uh, was snatched out of the chorus and went on as the Scarecrow, 20th century thought. Ken Harper fainted. And I mean, it was just like he was out of it. And we went on with Hinton that aftermath noon, that matinee, in front of 20th Century Fox and to get more money and so forth. And thank God we put those two young people together, Stephanie Mills and Hinton Basil, because they were absolute magic and they fell in love with them. And uh, that was one leg of our trip. Detroit was another and Philadelphia was yet another until we opened on Broadway in January 5th. 1970. What is that? 75. So our 50th anniversary is coming up in 2025. So whoever's doing The Wiz and what they're reimagining it as, I wish them well. But first, you're going to have to survive the road. The road is no joke. The road to the to Emerald City is pay, paved with heartache, heartache, you know, sprained ankles, firings, uh, all everything in my potholes, everything <laughs> that you can can imagine. <laughs> but we made it, and we won seven Tony Awards. So. You perseverance and all of those things that I learned all of that way were the things that helped me. So it was 10 years after I came to New York that I went to Tony. Uh, all of that experience through Alvin Ailey, through all of, through all of, all of that, through everything that I had done made me ready for that moment. And so, so forth. So that was uh, unimaginable success and and freedom. And then, and then you still, and then even after you get those papers, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, another journey. After that, I was I was twenty seven years old, so it was like. Um, at that time, so it was like the world was open to me. And then, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Asher and Simpson, and uh, all of those other people that I'd done. Porgy and Bess, I got a Tony nomination for that in 82. Uh, and uh, on and on. Yeah, you know, I I want to, I want to, Go forward, but I, brother, I could talk. Walk, <laughs> I know. Me. Maybe no, we no, have, no, because maybe, no, because because I have I have to hear about the Emerald City. But I need to hear about the Emerald City sequence. But that's so much detail. 
Well, I don't, need, I don't, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do, need. Oh no, I don't need. I don't need like Tom Du Potabure. Like wow, the vi- like the visioning of this. I mean, this is this is my childhood, brother. This is yes. legendary. Oh, right. You're right. right? You're like right. red, green, right. gold. You've got to be seen green. Like like those moves. Like just you know, give me the cliff notes. I just you're here. We that was later, but I had gone to uh, Charlie Smalls because the music. Uh, uh, for Emerald City was more like a dirge. And I said, I needed something sparkling and something wonderful. And that, and, uh, well, they did not use that in the movie, but I'm still, I'm still collecting royalties on that. But, gag. Uh, yes, gag, because we wrote <laughs> that song. And we will forever be embedded in the whiz because of the music side. So, even though the dances, the steps, the, all of that are not there, I will always be there. <laughs> so, Provenance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So you'll see my name on, the, on, and on Broadway even <laughs> as it comes back. So that, um, so um, uh, the Emerald City. We always wanted an Emerald City. We never looked like that. I had seen all the Busby Berkeley. I had done all that. I'd envy all of that. I love Fred Astaire and all of it. I had not seen us. Shimmering, God, Jeffrey did shimmering gowns. Tom John had done a wonderful set. All the green and the glitter and all of that. We had not enjoyed that to that point. We were the first, you know, not Ubi, Ubi, all of those other musicals. No, we were the first. Not Dream Girls. We bought those sparkles first. Thanks to Jeffrey Holder. Yes, you know, um, it was it was uh, quite an experience, quite. And we and and Charlie let um, the musical. Uh, my uh, dance arranger and I create uh, that the music for that, and it and it was because it it was fantasy. Had we ever your childhood? See, so you didn't grow up depraved or deprived of anything. We gave that to you, but that was the first time we gave you that much glitter and that much, and then your imagination could take you anywhere. It was for you too. It was for everybody. You know, who owns, who has a lock on that happiness? Who has a lock on that joy? No one. We can just give that away. And then, you know, if people would just do a lot, do some of that, you know, uh, do a little bit more of that, share a little bit more of that happiness. You only have a small time on this earth. You don't have uh, but a, a small time to smile and look at the sky and see that rainbow. But you must take that time to do that. And especially with our children, we must give it to them. You know, along with all of the other things, the harshness of living and life and all, we have to give them that. And then we have to give that to the uh, the kids that were teenagers so they'll have to have those memories when they grow old 
or older, you know, and they're looking for some happy. Just think back on that or the tornado, <laughs> the, the power of magic and the theater is everything. And it was all of those experiences, every, and, and we haven't talked about half of them, all of those experiences and, and teachers that I've met who told us stories about, you know, English lit and all of the other things uh, that, you know, that we were learning uh, or the National Geographics that we laughed at, you know, when we saw the Ubangis with the big lips and the women with exposed breasts, breasts when I was in the fourth grade and we didn't know what that was. Where was Africa when we learned about geography and civics and all of those things that they don't teach you? And we, when we had not seen them. Oh, TV brings that, all of that to you. But to see it, they, the teachers would bring us those things. Books bring you that. You can see it. And we marveled at it. We laughed at it. And, some, and the teachers would say, stop laughing at that. That's, they, that's how they dress. And you, grow, and you gain respect at an early age. You don't have to learn it, learn it later or at, uh, out of some national uh, uh, recognition. We didn't know where Africa was. This was right after... The, Brown versus the Board of Education. We finally got one of those books or had one of those magazines in our house that we could. Then they sold, they sold encyclopedias door to door. It's like, it's like crazy. You know, but I grew up like that. I was so glad and so fortunate to have a mother and father raising me, teaching me, disciplining me showing me, loving me. What has love taught you? Um, what has love taught you? That is universal, baby. You love who you love. And that's how you learn what love's got to do with it. And, uh, and people, other people that you don't know, will teach you what L-O-V-E means for real. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. Somebody's got to tell you until you can't stand it anymore what love is. When, when I had, a partner, uh, for, I had yeah. a partner for 50 years. That's mm -hmm. what love will teach you. Okay? What will teach you? So for all of you that can't stay no more than 15 minutes or seven, uh, you know, uh, Get with the program. And a book can teach you that too. It's, 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 you know, life is long and complicated. And, you know, you can't go through it by yourself. And it's best not to. That's the whole deal. It's just best not to. Because that's a, a part of that, uh, that whole phenomenon. Um, and and it is success and and live and uh, living. So 
You know, George, I just have just a couple more questions because I know we got off to a rough start. So our, our time is we may have to come back um, j- just for uh, those listening. I was referring to earlier. George actually lives like three blocks away from me. Um, and we had yes. we had some technical difficulties. So I had to hop on my bike and get uh, Mr. Faison sign in. Um, but we're we're here. And then I will go back and help you update your OS um, you know, get you back into Everything. 2023 technologically. Um, but, you know, there's been such a such an incredible history of, you know, achievement, you know, overcoming struggle um, and. Oh, success. yes. And then you had you had that, too. Even yeah. with the success, you had that that, too. And then you still see that on the, you know. All of the terrible things about, uh, you know, our society, right in our face. You know, that's no different than the dogs we saw for the first time or the, the, the woman rose, uh, you're rolling down the street under the force of, of uh, uh, those fire hoses and, the, and being drowned on those streets in that same town that you just saw a week ago. We so what have we really done? The struggle's not over. Uh, um, your being inspired is not over, and love and joy is not over. We gotta educate and be ready to educate <laughs> and be ready to educate <laughs> because there's a lot that people can learn from you. You have. If you can make a person smile, if you could just welcome them, our children can smell it on you when you don't welcome them. They can smell it. So you know what that means. They, you know, they don't need anything. You don't have to tell them. And that's, and that's what we, you know, you keep going for, to erase that and welcome. They don't know all of that. Teach them. But teach them some of the good part. Teach them love till they can't stand it, and they'll succeed. You know, George, um, I was leading up to a question, really kind of reframing failure. But you know, just two more questions. <laughs> could you share questions. with what? Could you share maybe one of the most valuable, one of the most valuable lessons you've learned from failure, from a, or from a failure? Failure. I don't know if you really failed because you, you get to go back and re- redo it. The thing you have to overcome is no. No is not the end. No is not the answer. Failure, it does not belong in that vocabulary either. Failure, no. You get to do it over again. Go back, fix it. Go back, do it again. Go back and forgive. So whatever you want to do, just go back. And you'll find somebody, some people are ready because you're a nice person. You're good, you're worth it. You are worth it, you know. (laughs) Okay, so Mr. Faison, this has been an 
incredible conversation, right, you know, and we and we started over and did it again too a couple of times. You're right, we did. We downloaded we Chrome did. a couple of times. We did. We did a lot of things a couple we of did times. Everything. But we're here, um, and you had the headphones in your bag and the I'm, whole time. But so it's okay. Glad, I was glad glad to hear your your story. You started at fifteen too. I did. You don't know at fifteen. You don't. What do you know at fifteen? You know, it's just the beginning. And why not be open? To all of that, why start? You know, you know, out life on the left side. Fifteen, you don't know anything. You're just be- beginning. In my outreach, which was the respect project, yes, teaching respect. You know, did, did learning about guns, gangs, violence, teen pregnancy, parents, teachers, and all of that. Yes, that's one thing. But if you had a chance to do something about that. What would you do? Let's th- think about that, about all of those problems. You know, you can you can do it. Yeah. You know. Um, so, Mr. Faison, my last question. If you had everything at your behest, what is the world that you imagine for the future? If I could have everything. Anything you wanted. That if you had all, all the power. of, yes, if I had all the treasures, all the gifts, all the technique, all the things in the world. No. If I had all of that, what would I want to do? I would want to be able to pass it on to you. Mm. I would love to pass it on to you. Well, I think you just have. <laughs> right. Oh, there are a few more stories. <laughs> you, can, you can now think about the questions and, and, and some other things. Uh, you Other questions and other things. But uh, no, but if I could, I would just like to pass it on. And that's what that you know everything that I have, mm-hmm. just pass it on. All of it. Well, I would like to just acknowledge your incredible, incredible life, full of courage and laughs and conversation and struggle and overcoming and showing up and dreaming and still dreaming. I mean, what's been so beautiful, even in this conversation, and I'm so glad you're on camera, is just watching everything on your face light up. And I think we just lost him to a dead battery. But that is okay. You all heard George Faison, um, and we will maybe bring him back. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. And that's a wrap for this captivating episode of the Institute of Black Imagination featuring the legendary George Faison. Let us know your thoughts over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. We love 
to hear your comments and can't wait to hear what you have to say about this one. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and be sure to check out this conversation and others at blackimagination.com. We have so many exciting guests coming up and I cannot wait to share them with you all. This episode reminds us to shoot high and dream big. What are you afraid of? There's a whole generation waiting on you. Until next time, stay curious and keep dreaming.